On September the 12th of 2006, there was a big controversy that took place because the then Pope, Pope Benedict, was invited to speak at the University of Germany. And when he went there to speak, part of his talk, he quoted a 15th century Byzantine emperor who said that Islam had spread by the sword and that God did not like the shedding of blood. And it caused this huge storm of rage throughout the Islamic world and what have you. And some of the questions that come out of that may be, have Christians and Muslims been at odds that long? And where does all that go? Is it structurally that way? What are some of the questions that we have and we think about with those in the world who hold the um, Islamic faith? That's what we're going to be looking at today. If you are, I know that many people today have got images and perhaps biases around this topic. Sometimes when people hear the word Islam, they immediately think of terrorists, or they'll picture um, a man with his, walking with his sword and his train of wives behind him, or whatever else. There are all kinds of images that people have. And we're going to try to go a little deeper than that today to get into some things about what they believe. And if you're new with us and you're wondering, like, what? I'm in a church? We're doing a sermon series where we are looking at some of the main beliefs and history of other religions and then comparing and contrasting them with our own faith as a way to learn and to understand and love our um, neighbors better and to also work on our own theology of other religions. So that's kind of where we are. And um, I want to give the same caveat I've given through the whole series. Um, I'm a Christian full on, and so I'm, I'm biased. I'm just going to say it up front. I believe Jesus is the ultimate revelation. I believe he is the way, the truth, the life, all of that. So it colors how I look at things. But I will also tell you this. I lived with a Muslim for a year, a person who was an exchange student with us, and I still call him my brother. And so I feel, you know, it was fascinating to me. This was in high school to, to have just conversations about the parallels and some different aspects of our, of our different faiths. Um, I think along with that, I'll say I'm not an expert. I've done my homework well, but I'm not an expert. And then we've got just a very limited amount of time. So we're going we're gonna to keep things moving. What I want to do is what we've done with these other ones. I want to look at a little snapshot of history of this religion, where it comes from. I want to look at their, some of their basic beliefs, and then I want to compare it to ours. So that's, that's where we're headed with all of this. And the beginning place for this conversation, I want to link up to our first reading that Steve did a minute ago. <clears throat> Many of you probably know this, but we all trace back, both Jews and Muslims and Christians all trace back to Abraham. I mean, y'all probably do know this. And it's from this passage that we just read uh, a moment ago, because the way that it's interpreted, and it, there's going to be immediate differences in how it's interpreted in part, but if you recall when we talked about Judaism, Abraham is old, and Sarah is old, and they don't have, they don't have children at this time, and God is saying you're going to become and have this nation, and all this is going to go on. And at some point, Sarah says, well, I don't know that's just going to happen. Here, have my maid as a concubine. That's how Judaism would say it. Uh, Muslims would say that Hagar is a second wife. But it, Ishmael is born, and then ultimately there's the conflict over Isaac and Ishmael, and, and of course Ishmael is sent off. They would say Ishmael is where Muslims come from. So that in time, you know, this is going to fast forward, but that's going to be the, the roots of where this thing goes. And part of this is to know, I mean, there's a big jump here, because we're going to go, the, the best get, educated guess is that Abraham is around the year 2000. BC, and that we're going to go from there all the way up to talking in the 6th century, 
next when Muhammad appears on the scene. So there's a big jump, but that's going to be the, the way they would trace that continuity of that. And uh, for those of you who know how this goes, Muhammad is going to be born uh, in Mecca in the year 570. And as you start to unfold the story of their history, um, very early on you'll learn that he had a very challenging childhood. His dad died uh, before he was born. His mother died when he was age six. He was raised by his uncle, who was very poor. And so he never went to school, was never educated. He tended the flocks in, the, in Mecca, and he learned a lot about Mecca and the traders and all the different things that go on there, but he, he was illiterate. He did not write or read. And at the time, Mecca was uh, a wild place. It was known for uh, drunken orgies, they say. It was um, animist. Animistic polytheism is what reigned. So they, all these different gods that were going on there, we'll say more about that in just a bit. And his reaction was to sort of be horrified by it all. The one sort of thing he did latch onto, though, was the Jews and the Christians that were there and noted how they were monotheistic. And he kind of held on to that. So we'll, we'll see more of that as we go along. In terms of how life goes for him from there, he, at the age of about 25, he marries... Uh, a wealthy widow who was 15 years older than him. They have six children, four girls and two boys, and uh, that tragedy cloud continues to uh, surround him as both of his boys died. And he's, he, so he's got the, f- the four daughters. And along the way, his spiritual practice is, was to eventually go to a cave near Mecca where he would hang out in this cave for solace and reflection and what have you. And that's where some of the big things are going to begin to happen, right, as we'll, as we'll talk about uh, in just a moment. So he hangs out there, and things were very different than, as I said, because they had uh, many, many different gods back then. There were, the Kaaba, we'll, I'll talk about in a few minutes, was said to have had 360 different deities associated with it back in the day. And somewhere along the way, whether it was this influence of Christianity and Judaism, um, we, can, we can talk about, but he began to believe that there was only one God. And that's part of what, um, what was a big piece of what he was about. The Arabic word at the time, one God, was Al-Ilah. And when you condense that, that becomes Allah. So that's where you're going to hear the, the one God. And then when he's around <clears throat> 40 years old, in the, about the year 610, he has this incredible experience that takes place in the cave. This thing that's called the Night of Power which always sounds to me like it's going to be in a wrestling thing, but the night of power. And um, not to, um, I don't mean that in some disrespectful kind of way, but that's what it's called, the night of power. Um, and it's where an angel appears to Muhammad and tells him to proclaim. And he says, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a proclaimer. And the angel, who later he will say is Gabriel, from the Bible as we know it, that Gabriel is telling him, no, persist, you're going you're gonna to proclaim. That this is, this is what's going to happen with it, right? And then things go on from there, and that's where things kind of start. So then for the next 23 years, he would say that he hears God is basically telling him exactly what these teachings are, and he has other people writing it down because, again, remember, he's illiterate. And so ultimately, we'll say more in a minute, that's ultimately going to become the basis of the Koran. So that's going to have been this sort of dictated version of what comes to him. So how did this all get received? Well, Three years after all this starts, he's got um, 
just really about 10 families or something like that or, that are following him. But about 10 years on, he's got several hundred families that are with him. And then we come up to a really um, big event within the development of Islam. And that's something that takes place in the year 622. And it's where uh, this city that was about 280 miles away from Mecca, um, the leaders come to him and say, we need a leader. And we want you to come and be our leader. And he eventually accepts that. And with about 70 families, they go from Mecca um, to this city. And I'm going to give you the name of the city. You won't know it now. But it was originally called Yathrib. And then later it gets renamed Madinat al-Nabib, which means the city of the prophet. And eventually that gets shortened to Medina. And so, um, Jay, if you'll put up that one map for me just for a second. I know those of you who want visual, um, some visual things. You can see the map of Saudi Arabia, which is where we are today, and you can see where Mecca is, right on the Red Sea. And if you look just straight north of Mecca, you'll see Medina. It's about a four-hour something car trip today, something like that is what I'm said, but it's about 280 miles. And that was the movement they made in 622. So that, that's all we need on the map, um, Jay. <clears throat> and that began to change things for them when, when they went there um, because they began to, first of all, Muhammad went from being just the prophet to being the administrator and leader. And they began to actually take on um, using some force. They, would, they went and took some of the villages around them. And their reviews at this time was a bit mixed. But the big breakthrough for them came when they eventually faced the army of Mecca and won. And that allowed Muhammad to go back to Mecca as its leader. And now things began to change. And they began to, to take over many, many things from that point. About 10 years after this initial move up to Medina, uh, Muhammad died, and um, he died at the age of 62 in approximately um, the year 6, was it 630? Um, 632, I said, yeah, 632. And it began, as I said, began to spread from there. It went all the way from the Atlantic all the way over to um, the borders with China. It spreads to where today there are 1.9 billion Muslims in the world. And even though it started, even though we talk about Hagar and Ishmael and where it starts and all this, something like uh, 20% of Muslims today are Arabic. So it's, um, it's spread in lots of different ways as well that way. Now, I want to mention some of the divisions. This is one of those things, if you don't know it, you will hear in the news today about some of the conflicts that takes place within Islam. When Muhammad died um, in 632, he had not arranged for how succession was going to take place. And so there were two different camps that developed. I'm not going to get into all the names with you because there's no point going into that detail. But one camp said, let's get the most effective leader to take his place. The other camp said, let's get the closest relative. Now, he didn't have any boys, but who's the closest male relative that could go into that role? So those were the two camps that took place. And um, part of the language involved with each is where they get their names. So the Sunnis and the Shiites. So you'll hear those two words. My little memory cue for my little brain is the biggest group, 90% of them, are the Sunnis. They wanted the most effective leader. And I always think about it as they wanted anybody under the sun, Sunni. You can remember that. Remember that. That's 90% of them. It's whoever's the most effective leader. And the Shiites um, were the party that said, let's get the closest relative. So that's, when you look back, if you go back and look at the war between Iraq and Iran, that's what was going on. It was tension between those two groups, and that kind of tension still, still goes on to this day. 
Um, the final thing that I want to say before we kind of pivot is um, to talk about radicalized uh, Muslims. And so you get into a little bit of controversy talking about this, but moderate, is, moderate Muslims would say we can coexist with other faiths, and that's the majority. But there is uh, a percentage that think you, they cannot coexist with other faiths, and they're basically out to destroy other faiths. There are debates about what those numbers are. I've heard anywhere between 8% and 10%, but I don't know. I can't really cite anything that's authoritative on that. Those are the numbers that you'll hear. I know Jim Dennison, somebody was telling me, had done a talk on this recently, and he said it was 8%, but I don't know. But that's, that's sort of what the numbers are. I want to turn with that. So that's the history. I want to turn now and talk about what their, some of their major beliefs are before we do a bit of a compare and contrast on it. And as you start to look at what their uh, major beliefs are, I've already kind of gone into some of these, but the first one of these is that they are monotheistic, that they do believe that there is one God. And um, sort of the second big thing we would sort of look at is, they, just like we do, they believe that one God calls for full submission. And we would talk about how God calls us to love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And they would say the same, the same thing, that it's, we're called you know, to full submission that way. They believe that God created um, creation and that creation is real and it's material and it's important. And that's why when Europe is in the dark ages, they are focused on science and development and the things are flourishing um, within uh, that range. Um, then, of course, another one of their big beliefs, huge beliefs, is the Koran, which they believe is ultimately more or less dictated by God. And that, so if you want to know God, it's in the Koran, which is only authoritative in Arabic because that's the language that God used, right? So that's one of their, another one of their big beliefs. Um, I, I want to say something finally about, um, when we, as we're talking about doctrine, about the place of violence, because then you start to talk about things that are hugely controversial and there's, there's debate and diversity and thoughts and what's co politically correct to say and not say, what's their position on it. The one thing you can say about it doctrinally is they have verses within the Quran and within these, um, the authoritative stories about Muhammad that have verses devoted to how warfare is to be conducted, right, and things like that, things that we don't necessarily would have that way. For example, the Quran says in one place, fight for the sake of Allah, those that fight against you, but do not attack them first. Allah does not love the aggressors. And um, Muhammad was a warrior. He, did, you know, he carried the sword. And some people would say that that's, again, the controversy I mentioned at the start, that that's how Islam spread so quickly within 100 years across the continent and what have you was because of the sword. They wouldn't say that. They would say it was from persuasion and example. Those are some of the debates you know, that go on um, in that kind of direction. And then uh, finally, the, we hear talk about jihad. Jihad technically means struggle, and specifically the struggle in the way of God. And the struggle may take many forms, including at times force, and that's when it becomes uh, a holy war. So that, that's complicated, I know. That's, um, some of their, those are their main doctrinal points. I'm going to do one more pivot now as we continue to look at what their main beliefs are. That's their doctrine. I'm going to talk about their practices. And when you talk about their practices, it's, pretty very, it's very straightforward. We can kind of rattle through these quickly because they have the five pillars. And we're just going to go through the five pillars real fast about, about what they do and what they believe is. The first pillar of their practice is to affirm their creed. And if you've, been, you've probably have heard their creed said before, there is no God but God, 
and Muhammad is his prophet. That's their creed. That's going to be their, that they, the thing that they keep repeating. The second pillar is prayer. And if you know this, that five times a day, they are to turn towards Mecca, face Mecca, and pray five times a day. And if you've, it's impressive to see. I remember one of the, one, uh, a number of years back, I was doing a technical research project out at UTA. And I was impatient, and I took the stairway instead of the elevator. And I opened up the door, and there was the whole landing of the stairwell was just full of people facing Mecca praying out there. So it's, and you're like, whoa, it's impressive when you see it. You know, that it's, but that's five times a day they're going to do that. The third pillar is to provide care for the poor. They are supposed to give 2.5% of their income to provide for those in poverty. So that is um, the third thing. The fourth thing is to fast, if you're able, to fast during Ramadan, as we said, remembering that move from Mecca to Medina is part of what that's uh, remembering. So that, And most of us, I think, in Dallas experience this and know this. It's going to be this month of fasting during the daylight hours. Um, and then the final thing, again, for those who are physically and financially able, would be to do a pilgrimage eventually to Mecca. And to, um, it, that is said to honor Ishmael and Hagar when you do that. So those are the, um, the five pillars that I've mentioned. The final part of the sermon today, I want to just do a little bit of compare and contrasting. And the thing about it is, you know, we're quick to say and think, well, they're nothing like us. And we're going to talk about some huge differences in a minute. But I think it's worth pausing for a second to just recognize there are things we can't affirm. There are things that we, we kind of approach in the same way, in part. We believe there's one God. We're monotheistic, as I've said before. We believe in full submission. We both would believe that. We both believe in the importance of regular prayer. We both believe in the importance of taking care of the poor and making provisions for the poor. So those are things we could always affirm that would overlap and hold that way. But then there are some massive differences, massive differences, as we'll say. And, and the first one of these I would point out is what's at the center of who we are. For them, the center is the Koran because it's a dictated word of God. If you want to know what God wants, if you want to know who God is, if you want to know all of that, it's going to be in the Quran because that's where he's dictated and his prophet has made it to be written down and, and, and it's put it together that way, right? What we would say, of course, is the ultimate revelation is in Jesus Christ. It's, it, God took on flesh, came amongst us, and it's a different thing. So we're not just, we're going to hold the Bible in a certain way. I'll say more in a minute. But it's because we want to hear the stories about Jesus. We want to learn what inspired word is around him but the ultimate revelation as we hear in the prologue to John's gospel is the word became flesh and dwelt among us that God takes on flesh and that that leads us to lots of different um, differences in how we handle different things Um, and there's no way for us to affirm what they do and what we do and the quickest way to begin to realize this then is to talk about what does the Quran say about Jesus right? That's going to be where, where we can start to look at some really huge differences. And the, the beginning place is they would say that um, he's not divine. Muhammad said that um, it's unfitting for Allah to have a son, thinking sort of in biological terms. Um, they would believe that he was simply a prophet. They do believe he was a prophet, so he is in their writings. They believe he was a prophet. They don't believe that he suffered and died. They believe that some other man took his place on the cross. 
so that he never suffered or died that way. And so there's no substitution that way. There's no, um, he's, this substitution took place on the cross literally with someone else being on there for him. And there's no way to hold those things and reconcile them. They say he's not divine. They say he didn't die on the cross, all this. So there's no, you're never going to reconcile those two. We can talk about places where we have got things in common, what have you, but you're not going to reconcile those two different things. And there's some really big ramifications with that because when we talk about, they put out a moral theology about how you should live. They're going to talk about having the one God and all this, but there's no mediator and there's no grace. And there's nothing like that that's taking place. It's going to be your effort in following the laws, right, and how you're going to live it this way. So it's, it's very, very different that way and how things are, um, are lived out. I think there were a couple things I would say, though, as we, as we kind of go from there. We're never going to reconcile things with the Koran, but I don't think we should slander it. I don't think that at all. I think we should um, treat them as if they're cousins that we're, not going to, we're agreeing to disagree with, right? And figure out how to love them. And my prayer ultimately would be that they would learn to, to have peace with us as well. And I think the majority do. Um, but it's a very different place. Today, in many parts of, having said that, in many parts of the Muslim world, if somebody converts to Christianity, it's met with um, dire consequences, right? I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, is in the U.S. Army and had spent time in Afghanistan who told me that his translator um, told him privately that he had secretly become a Christian, but he was never going to say it publicly, ever, because of all the consequences that would take place. So that's what happens in lots of different places, and we think about the, the freedoms that we enjoy. So I think we agree to disagree, and our charge is to go forward in love, understanding our neighbors, and um, trying to th- think about how Jesus would, would react with them, right? So that's a quick whirlwind, a little bit of history, some of their main beliefs, and some of the things for us to compare and contrast. And to me, it brings us back to just really, really, really holding on to grace and the fact that God came amongst us and dwelt among us, amongst us. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for creating all the people of the world in your image. Help us to understand each other better and help us to seek your love and peace. And finally, Father, help us to love with all our hearts, minds, and souls, to love you that way and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.